Welcome to season four of the Knowledge from the Couch podcast, laid back historical conversation. Thanks for listening. Guys, welcome back to the Knowledge from the Couch podcast, a brand new season, season number four of the show. How is everyone? It's been quite, quite a long time since I've graced the airwaves of all uh, 11 of my listeners who are left after my extremely, extremely long hiatus. I apologize for being long uh, or gone so long. I, I really do. Um, I, I remember when I first started this show. And I was like, man, I'm going to put a podcast out every single week, every single Friday, and it's going to be fucking dope. And for a good year and change, I kept that promise. I, I'm very proud of the fact that I was able to put out shows that consistently. And even when I went on my sort of uh, August hiatus last year and played best of episodes from the first uh, couple of seasons of the show, um, I kind of felt bad for not making any new content, even though I was consistently still putting out, you know, something every single week for people's downloads and, and everything. And even into uh, the, the the third season of the show, you know, we made great strides in in content preparation for the show. We actually got guests onto the show finally for the first time. And those were some of the best shows that I've ever done. And it was amazing. And then all of a sudden, just kind of out of nowhere, I just it was just the winter of of everyone's uh, discontent. I really think is, is is exactly how it hit me at the very least. If you're if you're not aware uh, of the geography of the show, and I'm sure you are, because I'm pretty sure most people who listen are from the exact same place that I am. But in the winter time uh, here in the middle of the continental United States, um, we basically started getting snow in January. Uh, you know, when a normal time to get snow uh, in this part of the world. But typically we get snow earlier in the season, like in November and December, and then January we'll get some snow, then it kind of tapers off, and February is usually just kind of cold and rainy, and then March comes around, and it could be a little cold and rainy, but usually it starts to warm up nicely, and by the time April hits, it's it's not unusual to see temperatures rise up into the 70s and, and 80s, and spring, you know, comes in a, in a flash, and then all of a sudden it's 115 fucking degrees outside, and that's kind of the way it goes. Well, for this year... Uh, we decided to just skip the whole November and December part of it being, you know, snowy and stuff, and we pushed it all the way back to January when it started. Well, unfortunately, that pushed all the snow we got all the way through the month of January and all the way through the month of February and all the way through the beginning of the month of March. We had historic uh, snowfall totals for our area, uh, and unfortunately, it's going to lead to historic flooding totals as well, but... The fact of the matter was it snowed and it snowed and snowed and it never seemed to let up for a good two and a half months. And it was gloomy and dreary outside all the time. It was cold as hell. It sucked. 
And, you know, that on top of work and all that other stuff, it just kind of sucks the motivation out of you. You know, it's just one of those one of those stupid things. And then you, you kind of get in this funk in the show going, what should I talk about now? Is anything I'm going to talk about even interesting anymore? Um, you know, when can I have guests over? When do people want to come over? Um, is the apartment going to be presentable enough to bring people over? To not think I'm a slovenly fucking freak of nature. All these kind of things run through your head and you just go, oh, it'll be fine. We'll get to it eventually. You know, you keep telling people, oh, you yeah, know, I'll, I'll get back into it. I'll, I'll make another episode. I'll get back into it. It's all good. We're, we're not done yet. I'll get back into it. And obviously, I've kept that promise because I am getting back into it. But it took a little longer than I had um, than I thought it was going to. So I do apologize for the absence. Those of you who do enjoy listening to the show and do enjoy listening to the show still actively, uh, I do apologize for being away for an amount of time. But we are back. And today's episode, episode number 54 of the show, we are going to talk about America's first female president. You heard me right. That's about as clickbaity of a title as I can really come up with. America's first quote-unquote female president. Her name is Edith Wilson. She is the wife of Woodrow Wilson, and we're going to talk about her in this episode and how she basically ran shit for an amount of time in this nation unbeknownst to many who were in that area at the time. Guys, episode 54 of the Knowledge from the Couch podcast. It's good to be back. Stick with us. Let's talk about Edith Wilson. Edith Wilson, born Edith Bowling in October 15th of 1872, was actually the second wife of President Woodrow Wilson, um, obviously made her a first lady of the United States from 1915 to 1921. Um, it's, it's interesting. Woodrow Wilson actually uh, suffered a death in his family, the death of his wife. Um, before he met Edith Wilson, and uh, she married him while he was actually still the uh, sitting and acting president of the United States. President Wilson was uh, devastated by the loss of his former wife, uh, Ellen, Ellen Wilson. Um, she was diagnosed with Bright's disease in July of 1914, then died um, in August 1914, very quickly thereafter. Woodrow Wilson was deeply affected by the loss of of his first wife, uh, falling into a deep depression. But later on, on March 18th of 1915, the next spring, Wilson met Edith at a White House tea event, and they hit it off from there. Wilson kind of was able to get over the loss of his first wife and fell in love with her, and he proposed marriage to her in May of 1915, a couple of months later. Initially, um, Edith actually rebuffed him, 
But uh, Wilson was undeterred and continued his courtship, continued trying, continued trying. Uh, Edith eventually warmed to their relationship, and they became engaged in September of that year, 1915. They were then married on December 18th of 1915. Um, At this point, fun fact, uh, Woodrow Wilson became uh, one of three presidents uh, joining John Tyler and Grover Cleveland as the only presidents to actually marry while they were in office. Now, Woodrow Wilson's first term started in uh, 1912, so he was almost all the way through his first term as president. He served two terms um, when he married Edith, and so he goes into the uh, presidential election of 1916 and does a pretty good job of holding on to his seat. Now, in his first election in 1912, he went against uh, our boy, Teddy Roosevelt, uh, and a, a William Howard Taft, our, our fat Supreme Court boy, and he just wiped the fucking floor with these guys. He just kicked their ass terribly in that first presidential election and made it happen and won as a, uh, as a Democrat. And a lot of things went down during Woodrow Wilson's first term, including the, the start of World War I, which unfortunately started literally right, right when he was going through this courtship of Edith and uh, uh, you know, still being sad and depressed after the death of his wife. So, you know, a humongous international incident going on that he very famously uh, was keeping the United States out of. He was uh, he was a humongous um, proponent of United States neutrality when it came to these European wars. Uh, Europe is basically always always having war, like all the time. And it was a it was one of those things that you just didn't want to get caught up into, like literally every century um, since, you know, people had been coming over, Europeans had been coming over to the new world, uh, quote unquote. Every century, there was always some major war. And sometimes sometimes the United States would get dragged into stuff like that. Obviously, the Revolutionary War was a, you know, American centric war, but the War of 1812 was uh, it was basically international as well, um, going on at the same time as uh, the Napoleonic era. And just constantly there was just war, war, war. It was Europe, man. Europe, Europe was 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 very dense, full of people who just for whatever reason didn't get along with each other very well. So there were always butting heads, um, major powers like the English and the French uh, and uh Various German powers, Prussian powers, Austria-Hungary, um, Italians, um, even if you, as you go east, uh, the uh, the Russian Empire, and then eventually um, Soviet Russia after that. You have all these guys in this area just butting heads, butting heads, butting heads. And Woodrow Wilson is like, nah, we're not going to be a part of that. We're not going to be a part of that at all. So this is all going on at the time that he and Edith Wilson are getting together, and eventually they are married by the end of December of 1915 to Woodrow Wilson. Now, it's 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 interesting that all this stuff is going down because uh, Woodrow Wilson, to me, when I was when I was growing up and and going through history in high school, going through history in college, when I was getting my degree, um, Woodrow Wilson to me was always one of the presidents that I thought was, in my opinion, usually a top ten president. He got a lot of shit done. He he had bold ideas, and he had to do it on a stage that was increasingly becoming, you know, the the world stage was becoming smaller and smaller. You know, it was it was difficult to stay away from stuff as 
technology advances, as things like the telegraph exist and radio starts to exist, um, the world becomes a great deal smaller as as transport becomes faster and more convenient and people can go from point A to B to C and so on easier and easier, the world gets smaller and you are the president of a nation that can't really sit around and not do much of anything anymore. So, you know, it's kind of tough for him and he did a lot of good stuff. Uh, the League of Nations was one of his uh, one of his ideas, one of his little brain children that didn't really amount to a heck of a lot when he was first there, but of course eventually, you know, was morphed um, into what we now know as the United Nations, a very, you know, a, a wonderful organization that, you know, promotes hopefully uh, world peace and cooperation among nations. Doesn't always work out, obviously, because some nations don't give a shit what the UN thinks. Um, but the idea is good. Uh, uh, the cooperation is good and stuff like that is idea or the ideas of Woodrow Wilson. Or were they? Um I it was interesting when I first heard the story about Edith Wilson and I couldn't believe what I was reading and what I had heard when when I found out about this woman. You know, you don't really think about first ladies all that much, uh, much to the chagrin of, I'm sure, a lot of these first ladies. You don't really think of them as much more than, you know, the person who helps, you know, um, bring the bring the very. the the democratic look to the president, the one who is the diplomat, the one who is who is um, always very very even keeled, uh, level headed, the one who tempers the president and is is there to help advise him and 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 do things uh, of that nature. Um, you don't really, especially from the era of probably past the first dozen half do, I would say really half dozen presidents or so. Um, of the United States up to the modern era in the 20th century, you don't really hear a lot about the first ladies of most of those presidents. Um, if they even had one, James Buchanan, I'm looking at you. Um, and really for a long time, not not a lot of people really knew about this particular first lady because Woodrow Wilson's kind of profile had become so large with what he had to deal with on the center stage of the world that she kind of fades into the background, which I think is exactly the way she wanted to do it, was kind of fade into the background and do what she was going to do that way. So at this point, uh, Edith is now married to President uh, Wilson, and the United States still isn't in the First World War. They're still still neutral, and at this point, she's kind of playing the the traditional sort of hostess role of, of First Ladies that, kind of was the way it was, you know, for first ladies for the last century or so. Didn't really take a front seat in any way and just kind of hung out in the background uh, supporting their husbands in the presidency. Um, but she could tell as she was so in tune with the president that he was just he was just stressed, stressed out of his gourd, out of his mind. It was just so difficult for him. And she she was a, a a wonderful and loving wife in a way that she was extremely supportive to President Wilson. Um, she basically the, the the whole aspect of this this hostess role that she had, they basically just threw it out the window. Um, when in 1917 the United States finally had to basically say fuck it, we have to go into the war. We have to enter World War One. We were basically already supplying a bunch of the allied powers with with stuff um with supplies with money 
and it's becoming a real big deal. So we need to uh, get in there and help these allies out and actually finish the stupid war that's already been going on for uh, three years at this point and has cost millions and millions of lives already on the European continent. The United States had to get involved and Wilson had to reverse his position on neutrality and enter the United States in the war. And it took a tremendous, tremendous tax on the president at this time, so much so that he would be up for hours and hours and hours into the evenings, every single evening, worrying and, 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 and going through legislation and doing all these things that he already had a pretty full slate in his life. And he had to top this on top of it. And Edith did a great job of, of supporting her husband. And she eventually just submerged her own life into her husband's, becoming extremely involved, trying to keep him fit under this tremendous strain that he was going through. And she would even accompany him to Europe when um, the Allies would confer on terms of peace. So she was basically in there the entire time, um, getting just as involved in the work um, that her husband was doing. That way, it kind of felt like he had at least a little bit of a crutch that he could lean on instead of feeling like he had to take it all on his shoulders. Um, Edith really, she, a woman not terribly well educated by any standards, having gone to a couple of finishing schools, um, one of which she hated and, and never wanted to go back to, another which that she loved, but was shut down after a year when the headmaster like hurt himself really bad and couldn't do anything and they shut the school down. And then her father was like, I'm not paying for school for you anymore, so go be a woman somewhere was basically the, the gist of it when her father uh, allowed her brothers to go get educated and was like, uh, you're my daughter and I don't give a shit about you that much anymore, so go do uh, whatever women do in the uh, late 1800s and early 1900s. Um, so despite not being a, a very well educated, she was an extremely sharp and 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 uh, right to the point type of woman. She She had... She had that it factor that you can't learn in school, that you can't educate into a person. She had this sort of quick wit, this 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 smart tongue, and she was able to, you know, um, dance around with her husband's incredible intellect. Uh, Woodrow Wilson was an incredibly smart man um, by all by all accounts, and she was able to really get into the business with him and and basically like almost morph into his like extension. And this is what leads us, you know, into the uh, into the more important part of our story, how Edith Wilson became the first woman president of the United States. So, like we said, uh, Edith really got in with President Wilson so much so that she kind of drew in the ire of of political people around the president. Now, you got to remember that President Wilson was married before um, and his wife had died. And, you know, it was a, a sad deal. Um, very quickly, though, thereafter, he met this woman, as we talked about, and married her very quickly, and he was just infatuated with her. So as much as she was in there supporting him and 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 carrying him and bringing him up, he was equally uh, privy to give her just info on stuff. Like, like Woodrow Wilson did not give a shit about sharing uh, uh, classified information with Edith and sharing like codes and stuff that he was the only one who was supposed to know that kind of stuff. He was just sharing that with her just easy peasy. It was so weird how he became so infatuated with this woman and with what she was doing 
um, as sort of his, you know, his presidential aide, that he was giving her all this information, and it really pissed off a great deal of people around the president. Uh, so much so that a lot of them were calling for Edith to be, you know, expelled from from the area. Not like, you know, like, oh, you must divorce your wife, uh, president, but like he would bring her to presidential meetings. He would bring her to cabinet meetings. He would bring her, like, on, like I said, on his trips to Europe during these um, these peace talks, he would bring her to everything, and she would, you know, voice her opinion very loudly about things that she was asked about, which was unheard of at the time. Obviously, there were rumblings um, for for women's suffrage at this time, and that would eventually happen in 1920, very, you know, very soon thereafter, down the road a little bit. But it was still, you know, a lot of people at the time were like, oh, you know, you're a woman. You can't speak up. You can't do anything. Your opinion doesn't matter as much as a man's opinion. And she was having absolutely none of that. And she basically started to make political enemies at this time. So as the trust between the president and Edith was was growing stronger and stronger, um, you know, it, it, it all sort of came to a head when the United States went to war and then when eventually the United States uh, was part of the winning side of that war and the the Treaty of Versailles signed and um, peace for a few years is is put in with Europe. By this point, by this point, Edith Wilson never left the president's side. She would work together with him from a private upstairs office uh, in the White House. He gave her access to class the classified document drawer and the secret wartime code, and he let her screen his mail. He was like, yeah, fuck it. Mail for, mail for me, address to President Woodrow Wilson. You go read that. I don't care. Go ahead and read my mail. He would just let her do all that. And like I said, at his insistence, she sat in on all these meetings. At war's end, she escorted him to, to Europe to do the Treaty of Versailles, and then later on, he escorted uh, her, or she escorted him, every way you want to think about it, um, so he could present his vision of the League of Nations, like I said, his um, his sort of United Nations type of brainchild activity. He wanted to bring that idea to the uh, the the now sort of gathered nations of the world, um, reeling from an awful world war full of death and destruction. Um, somebody looking for an answer to hopefully say, how can we? How can we get together and prevent this from ever happening again? Obviously, it didn't work out greatly, but Woodrow Wilson was very into the idea of the League of Nations. When they returned home to the U.S., um, the honors of the old world sort of gave way to the this, the sober reality that they were in now that the president was going to face insane resistance among his opponents in the Senate um, about getting his version of the League of Nations approved. Uh, Woodrow Wilson is a as a Democrat. The Senate Republicans were very much against his idea of the League of Nations, um, still kind of wanting this, you know, this very uh, recluse, neutral United States sort of, you know, just like we're, we're over here. Like, we don't want to be involved with anybody. Whereas Woodrow Wilson finally kind of came out of the shadows and said, hey, I want to be involved. I want to kind of help lead the world into, you know, the next the next century and make it so that we can hopefully be prosperous. We don't have war like this ever again. Woodrow Wilson was absolutely exhausted at this point. Absolutely exhausted. So busy. And like I said, Edith was with him the entire time. Even though he was so exhausted, he insisted on crossing the country by train after the war is over to try to, you know, do an old school um, sort of barnstorming type of tour 
to try to convince people that it was a good idea to support the League of Nations. This is when you could uh, reasonably do something like that and you wouldn't um, get just bombarded and called an asshole on Twitter because of it. You know, times change. Uh, you know, 100 years does a, a hell of a lot of work. Um, despite that work, there was still little enthusiasm from the people for the League of Nations. A lot of people were still very, like, neutral, kind of, hey, we're the United States, we're doing our thing over here, fuck Europe, fuck Asia, they're over across the oceans, we're just chilling on our side, doing our thing, leave us alone, and we'll leave you alone. That's what a lot of people still had that kind of sense in their brain, even though the war hawking was starting to become profitable, and people were saying, oh, man, going to war is like, Pretty dope. Like, we make all this stuff. We have all these resources. We have all this money now. And we can become awesome. Why don't we do that? But there's still, like, this big prevailing, you know, old school flavor of, hey, we're not going to do that. We're just going to, we're going to go ahead and just be chill and be neutral. Woodrow Wilson and Edith Wilson are now traveling around the country by train, trying to convince people that the League of Nations is a good idea. Uh, little enthusiasm. He keeps pushing harder. He keeps pushing harder. Then, uh, in October of 1919, he collapses, literally collapses from physical exhaustion. They rush him back to the White House, seeing that at this point, the president had suffered a massive, massive stroke, which is insane because, you know, I, I work in the medical field and I've seen strokes. I've seen little strokes. I've seen massive strokes like this, and it fucks people up. Like, I, 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 you can't even sugarcoat it. A stroke is a big, big deal. You know, uh, you have a, a clot that is denying your brain of blood flow. Your brain is what you need to be able to do stuff, to be able to think, to be able to act, to do anything. You need that that spongy mass that's hooked in between your ears, and a stroke really takes the wind out of somebody's sails, and, and President Wilson has a massive one. In fact, Edith found him unconscious on the floor of his bathroom in the White House. It was soon apparent to everybody around him that President Wilson could not fully function. I mean, nobody. And I, I can only imagine 100 years ago, like these days, people have big old strokes. But with uh, uh, improved techniques and medical treatment and rehab and, and stuff like that, people can start to, you know, at least hopefully regain most of a semblance of a regular life even after having a stroke. Now, there's a, obviously like a, a, a point of diminishing returns where a stroke is just going to absolutely gut punch you and that's going to be the end of it. But it's possible. Now, back in 1919, this is not not a lot of this stuff is is well known to people, so they just kind of did what they could do. At this point, she just was like, boom, I'm fucking ready to go. Edith Wilson, time to make decisions. And she steps in to help kind of do this. She's been with his been by his side for the last four and a half, five years or so, doing everything he was doing. She was very familiar with the policies, with what they, you know, what the president wanted to accomplish. So she was like, hell yeah, I'm going to step up and do all this stuff. She was consulting with physicians. She would never even consider making her husband resign and having the vice president take over. She really didn't like the vice president. She thought he was a total dipshit and the feeling was mutual. The vice president uh, really didn't like Edith either because the fact that the president just kind of let her be the vice president while he was like, what the fuck, man? Like, am I am I nothing to you? Like, I ran on your ticket, bro. We're buddies. And you marry this woman and you just let her be in all the meetings and say all this shit. Like, bro, what are you doing to me? They did not get along at all. And she did not want him to take over, which really honestly should have been what happened. 
somebody is in a, a position of power like this and they have a, a, a medical emergency like a stroke like he had shouldn't be the person with the nuclear codes anymore. Obviously, nuclear is not a factor in 1919, but you know what I mean. The person shouldn't have access to what they have access to, especially being kind of medically unable to to do something like that. Yet they're like, I don't know. And he's like, nope, nope, he's fine. He's totally fine. Guys, don't worry about it. He had this He had this medical episode, but he's just going to recover. He's going to hang out in bed. I'm going to help get him his stuff. I'll help care for him. He'll, stu- he'll still do work from his office, and I will, I will help him out with that stuff. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to help him. I'm going to support him and get him through this. He doesn't have to resign. He's just going to continue doing the work. He should have resigned. Because of this. And that vice president uh, should have taken over. But she decided, oh, you know, it's it's we're going to do this. Her loving dedication to protect him by whatever means necessary um, is is a really admirable thing to think about when it comes to thinking, oh, that's really nice. She was so dedicated to his to to him that she and she loved him so much that that she was going to do anything she could to keep him in the presidential seat. But it really was. A, a kind of a selfish thing that she did to basically force herself into um, basically the power of the president um, circumventing any sort of any sort of, you know, procedure, constitutional or otherwise, that probably should have gone down that way. And now, like I said, this being the early 20th century, you know, there we are entering the information age at the very early stages at this point. But you're still not getting news in a, at a, at a flash. You're still not getting uh, any sort of news about how anything is going on very quickly these days. So the fact that the president's health was in extreme jeopardy really wasn't known to a lot of people. And Edith took advantage of this. You, you, She basically covered the entire thing up and began what was called her quote unquote stewardship of President Wilson. And and started, you know, doing what she was doing with him. And when they kind of cooped him up in his office, which was basically just like a bed, him being like, I had a fucking stroke and I'm super sick and I can't do anything, but it's going to be behind closed doors. So nobody's going to know about it. Really did a good job of keeping the, the full blownness of his illness away from people at that time to be like, hey, um, president can't do shit. So we need somebody to take over. That should be the vice president. Edith's like, nope, nope. Uh, stiff arm denied. We're not going to tell anybody about this. At this point, President Wilson's basically entire left side had become paralyzed. He became partially blind in his right eye. Later on, he has a urinary tract infection. Infection, excuse me. Later on, he then has the flu, and that is worsened already by his extremely weakened immune system and a body that just can't get up and move and do what it needs to do to get better. It was still a mystery to everyone, though, that this guy was like on death's doorstep. And she was like, nope, it's all good. We've got this. He is totally, totally fine. So at this point, like I said, she begins what she would call her stewardship. That was the word that she used to refer to this basically relative takeover of the presidency. She would go and attend meetings in place of him. He wouldn't even go to the meetings and she would go. And everybody was like, I guess this is what we're doing now. I guess this lady that is the wife of our president is just going to come to the meetings and then that's all it is. It's like, what's going on? This is like if like Michelle Obama was like, you know what, Barack, take the day off. 
I'll do all the president stuff today is totally cool. Like, nobody would be okay with that. Nobody would be okay with Ivanka Trump going, um, or Melania, geez, well, Freudian slip, yeesh. Anyhow, no would be okay with, like, one of, of, of Trump's kids or his wife, like, attending stuff for him. Uh, nobody would be okay with Laura Bush going to meetings for George W. Bush. But at this time, everybody's like, I guess, I guess we're doing that. Edith is coming to, is coming to the meetings. That's, I guess, what she's doing now. And she would attend these meetings in place of him. He was nowhere to be found. And when information needed to be passed back to the president, she would insist, she would insist that she be the one to do it. She basically became this insane control freak and and wanted all the information, all of everything to pass through her. In the evenings, she would take all the necessary paperwork back to the residence where Woodrow Wilson was basically presumably waiting for all the work for him to do from home when he was really just laying in bed being sick and quote-unquote inform him of what he needed to know. Then the next morning, she would return the paperwork to its paperwork, excuse me, to its original owner, whoever that was, and, you know, complete with a bunch of notes and suggestions from the president, quote-unquote. Um, an extremely odd arrangement that, uh, when you look back to it, it was basically her taking documents to the president and in private basically doing the work of the president with really without any of his input at all. People would line up daily at Edith's door uh, uh, day in and day out, waiting for the notes that she would pass back and forth between them and their leader. She basically became this middleman um, uh, that was this force, this shield between the president and all of his you know, cabinet members, the Senate, Congress, um, everybody. It was like they're all out here waiting to do legislative stuff. She would get in the middle of all that and become the proxy of the president. And the funny part is they just kind of let this go on. It was a a really interesting thing. Um, presidential succession really wasn't thought that much about at this time. Now, obviously, presidents had died in office plenty of times before any of this went down. So it was very well known that like, hey, if the president is killed or dies of sickness or something while he's in office, then his vice president will take over the end. But. It was extremely vague still at this point in the Constitution and in, in, in rules what would happen with presidential succession. And the president wasn't dead. Uh, Woodrow Wilson was just sick and just kind of laying around and doing nothing. Kind of everybody was like, what do we what do we do? Do we how do we do this? You know, this whole time she's just going in, passing notes back and forth and saying, yep, this is the president's words. This is exactly what he wrote down. I'm just here to pass the notes, even though I'm being super shady and never letting you actually come in and see the president or watch him do any of the stuff that he's allegedly doing. Trust me. Trust me. He is he is doing exactly all of this stuff. And people just kind of took her at her word um, most of the time. There were plenty of proponents that were like, yeah, uh, we haven't actually seen the president write any of these words and we don't like you. And you guys got married super fast. And all of a sudden you're like the fucking main person. Uh, we don't understand what is going on. You need to, like, let us know what was going on. And she would continue to argue back and forth. Oh, he's just minorly incapacitated. It's tough for him to actually get up and do stuff during the day. So it's easier for him to work from bed. I will bring the notes. I will go to his meetings for him, and I will tell him how everything went down. He'll write his stuff, give it to me, and I'll give it back to you. That's all you need to know. That's exactly how this is supposed to work. 
the way she said it herself. She said, this is a quote from Edith, quote, So began my stewardship. I studied every paper sent from the different secretaries or senators and tried to digest and present in tabloid form the things that, despite my vigilance, had to go to the president. I myself never made a single decision regarding the disposition of public affairs. The only decision that was mine was what was important and what was not, and the very important decision of what to present or when to present matters to my husband, unquote. So this entire time, she was basically just this this person sitting in the middle of the thing, and the president's just laying down, and she's doing everything for him. She would scribble notes, and everybody's like, come on. These are not the president's notes, but she consisted. She just insisted over and over, deny, 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 deny that she ever had anything to do with with running the country. Now, very luckily, nothing really bad happened to the United States during this time that the president was laid up. Uh, The war was over. The League of Nations was just kind of a thing that was floating out there in the ether. And mostly it was just kind of cleanup effort after the war and stuff. So really not a lot of crazy things happened. Thank goodness. Or shit may have really really hit the fan by um by march of of 1921 he was feeling a lot better um and everything was just going you know better at that point the president you know kind of could could come out and do stuff and and take over the way he was supposed to um during her quote unquote reign uh her regency i guess you could call it um she made a lot of enemies um uh, when she heard that the secretary of state had convened a cabinet meeting without Wilson's permission, by God, without her permission, she considered it a an act of support insubordination, and he got fired because of it. I'm sure the president didn't know a damn thing about it, but somehow she got the uh, the Secretary of State fucking fired because of it. Um, the most damaging irony of the entire situation came as a result of 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 later on that uh, of her insistence that a minor British embassy aide be fired for a body joke that he cracked at her expense or else she would refuse the credentials of an ambassador who com- who had come specifically to help negotiate for his version of the League of Nations. All the president wanted was his League of Nations to work. This British embassy aide comes around, cracks, you know, like a real dry British joke, you can imagine. She's like, what the fuck is this bullshit? Uh, get the hell out of here. Even though that guy was basically there to pave the way for a British uh, uh, ambassador to come over to help negotiate for his version of the League of Nations that may have actually made the League of Nations work worth a shit. Instead, he was like, this is dumb. What the hell? Who the hell are you? Why are you involved in any of this nonsense? We're not going to do any of that bullshit. And he kicks it back to London and pretty much collapses any you know semblance of the League of Nations actually working worth a shit. And for all the protection that she sort of provided him, at least in her mind, um, she very well may have damaged what he wanted to do with his legacy, which was create this, you know, United League of Nations. Until her death, and she lived all the way till 1961, Woodrow Wilson died in 1924, not very long after, you know, his presidency had had ceased. Woodrow Wilson, I mean, he was in poor health anyway. Towards the end of his presidency, he was able to get up and do stuff again, but very weakly. And everybody was just like, ah, whatever, it's over. He actually, interestingly enough, entertained a run at at president again. And his people were like, no, 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 no. A, all this bullshit just went down. No, thank you. And B, dude, you are sick as hell. You cannot be president again. Let somebody else do it. So, you know, he he eventually passes the baton along 
and isn't president anymore and then dies just a few years later because he's very sick. Well, she lived until 1961, so she lived a great deal longer than him. And until her death, the former first lady insisted, like I said, that she never assumed the full power of the presidency. And at best, she used some of its prerogatives on behalf of her husband, of course. Edith Wilson's stewardship uh, uh, really, in my opinion, was the first woman president of the United States. Unfortunately, it was through means that were less than transparent. It was um, basically, when you look back at it in, in that way, a hostile takeover of the presidency of the United States and a big, gigantic lie about the entire situation. But for about a year and change in the late 19-teens, near 1920, America had a female president. Some things that you really never learn about in school. And guys, that's the episode. It's it's, it's something else for your ear holes uh, to, to enjoy historically. You can still find this show everywhere podcasts can be found. iTunes, um, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, I think. Although Stitcher's been kind of weird with the feed lately. Spotify, all these places you can find the podcast. You can find the Patreon still up if you want to do that. Patreon.com slash Kyle has a podcast. Help the show out if you would like to. Um... Join us on Facebook, search Knowledge from the Couch podcast. Um, fairly soon, we will start having guests on the show again. This was just a nice little thing I wanted to talk about for uh, a, a few minutes and pop in super quick. Uh, otherwise, we'll get the, the show back on the road the way it should be. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to, to really say. Look for me pretty soon on Aaron Hoag's uh, video cast. I should be on there fairly soon uh, talking about whatever he wants to talk about in the meantime. And yeah, we're getting everything running again. I'm glad I was able to get back into this and do this. It was awesome getting behind the mic again and making a show for you guys. It has been a pleasure. Guys, thank you so much for listening and continuing to support the show, even when I don't support your support back. Be kind to everybody. Be nice to animals. And always, 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 always live long and prosper.